After going through all the laws to do with Trumas and Maeserus, and Maeserishan, Maeseroni, Maeserishani, we now come to the very last tithe which is separated. And interestingly, this last one is very similar to the first tithe which is separated, namely Truma. So the last one is called Chala, and that's a portion of one's dough. After he separated all the tithes from the grain when it was in grain form, so then he makes it into dough, and once it's dough, he needs to separate a gift called Chala. And just like Truma, it goes to the Kohen. And just like Truma, a non-Kohen is never allowed to eat Chala, even with the Kohen's permission. And just like Truma, the punishment for a non-Kohen who eats Chala by mistake is that he has to pay back the value plus a Chomesh, plus a fifth. As well as that, it cannot become Tomei, just like Truma. And if it does become Tomei, then it still needs to be given to a Kohen, but then the Kohen has to burn it, although the Kohen can still benefit from the burning, just like Truma. Now another similarity between Chala and Truma is that Midoraisa, there is no fixed amount which you have to separate from the dough and give it to a Kohen. Midoraisa, even if you just separate a tiny amount and you give it to a Kohen, you fulfill your obligation. However, Midrabonon, it has to be a significant amount, such that the Kohen would consider it a gift, which he can actually gain from. And we'll see that in general, that amount is 1 24th of the dough. Sometimes it's half the amount, and we'll learn more about that later on in the Masechta. Namid Araisa, the obligation of Chala only applies in Eretz Yisrael. The Torah explicitly says, when you come to Eretz Yisrael, then this mitzvah will apply. And in that way, it's the same as the rest of the tithes. However, the big difference between Chala and the rest of the tithes is that Midrabonon, Chala applies everywhere. Even outside of Eretz Yisrael, whenever you bake bread in an oven, one has to separate Chala. And the main reason for this is so that the whole concept of Chala doesn't get forgotten. Because if the Jewish people live outside of Eretz Yisrael for so many years, as they did end up doing, so if they would have never separated Chala from bread, then there was a danger that they would forget the whole concept of Chala. They would forget about the obligation, and even when they returned to Eretz Yisrael, they wouldn't separate Chala when they need to. So to prevent that happening, the Jabonon is an obligation everywhere. Now, according to most opinions, the obligation in Eretz Yisrael is only with the Eretzah if the majority of the Jewish people live in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, according to those opinions, nowadays the obligation of Chala even inside of Eretz Yisrael is only Midrabonon. However, there are opinions who hold that even nowadays, despite the majority of the Jews not being inside of Eretz Yisrael, the obligation in Eretz Yisrael is Midoraisa. Be it as it may, the Torah's obligation of Chala applies to Lechem, to bread. Now, Halachic bread is only that which is baked from five main grains. And therefore, Chamesh Dvon Five things, five types of grain, would make the bread obligated in Chala, and that is hachitim, wheat, vasoim, barley, vakusmin, spelt, vishibula, shul, and oats, vashifrin, and rye. These are the five primary grains, and only bread which is baked from one of these five grains, hareilu charam bachala, would be obligated in Chala. Now, how exactly do we know that the word lechem, bread, only applies to these five main grains? The answer is, it's learnt from Egzer Shava from Matzah. Egzer Shava is where the same word appears in two different places, in this context, Chala and Matzah, and because of that, you're able to derive laws from Matzah and apply them to Chala as well. So just like with regards to Matzah, it has to be made from one of these five grains, as we'll see in the next Mishnah, so to the same applies to Chala. Furthermore, we're going to learn in a couple of Mishnah's time that dough is only obligated in Chala if the whole dough itself is a minimum size, one and a quarter kav. 
And the Mishnah tells us that um, from the different types of grains combine, meaning that if, let's say, the dough made up one and a quarter kav, but inside the dough was wheat flour and barley flour. Since they are all part of the same dough, we consider it one, and therefore it is obligated in challah. Now, another law which applies specifically to these five primary grains is the law of chadosh, and that is that the crop which grew that year is forbidden to be eaten until Pesach, when the korban omer is brought on the second day of Pesach, and only after that point are you allowed to eat the produce which grew that year. Now, that prohibition only applies to these five grains. So these five grains would be forbidden under the law of Chadash before Pesach, before the carbon Omer is brought on Pesach. And again, this is because the Torah uses the word Lechem when talking about the prohibition of Chadash, and it uses the same word with regards to Matzah. So just like Matzah has to be made from one of those five grains, so too Chadash only applies to those five grains. Now, as well as you not being able to eat the new produce before the carbon omer has been brought on Pesach, one is also not allowed to harvest the chodosh, the new produce, before that time. And therefore, it is also forbidden to harvest those five grains which grew that year before the carbon omer is brought on the second day of Pesach. Now, what exactly is considered that year's produce? So the Mishnah says, Any grain which took root... So it was properly part of the ground and growing. Before the carbon omer was bought, that year's omer permits them, so you'll be allowed to harvest that produce and eat it whenever you like. The lav, however, any produce which didn't take root before the omer was bought, as soon as omer habar, is forbidden to be harvested or eaten until the following year's carbon omer is brought up. So that means that new produce is any produce which took root after last year's Korban Omer. Mishnah Beis, as we learned before, one who eats the size of an olive of matzah on the first night of Pesach, has fulfilled his obligation of eating matzah on the first night of Pesach, and that is only if the matzah was made out of one of those five grains. And this is very much connected to the next halacha, which is kazais chomets. If somebody eats the size of an olive of chomets on Pesach, chayav kores, is liable to the punishment of kores, which is when one dies early, and there are other aspects of the punishment too. Now, the reason why I see these two laws are connected is because the Torah's obligation of eating matzah is put in the same posuk and right next to the prohibition of eating chomets. And it's learned from there that only grain which can physically become chomets, and that's only these five grains, only those grains can be used in order to fulfill your mitzvah of matzah. And then once we know that matzah can only be fulfilled with those five grains, we then apply that law to challah as well, and chodosh as we described in the previous Mishnah. Now, just like it's forbidden to eat chomets on Pesach, it's also forbidden to own chomets. In fact, it's even forbidden to own a mixture of chomets and other things which aren't chomets. If you have a drink or a cooked dish, which is a mixture of chomets and something else, that is also forbidden to own. And therefore, the Mishnah says this, If one of these five grains gets mixed together with another species, another type of grain, somebody who owns that has it over by Pesach, transgresses an avira of owning that on Pesach, and in fact, he transgresses two Aveiras, one of owning Chomets, and the second Aveira is owning a mixture of Chomets and something else. The Torah says that that's a separate Aveira, to own something which is a mixture of Chomets and something else as well. And the mission is going to go on to something else which only applies to the five main grains, and that is with regards to Nidorim. A Nidor is a vow which somebody can make to prohibit himself from benefiting from something. And so Hanodim and one who makes a Nidor against benefiting from bread, or tavua. 
Tvua literally means grain, and in the Torah, Tvua can refer to many types of grains, not just these five primary grains. However, since when people talk about Tvua, and the way that people use the word Tvua only refers to these five grains, so Osobohem, he would be forbidden to benefit from those five grains, and if he makes an Eder against bread, he'll be forbidden to benefit from bread made from those five grains, but all other grains he would still be able to benefit from. That is the opinion of Rebbe Meir, who holds that these are the two only terms which would refer specifically only to these five primary grains. Now, the Chachom say, Dogon, one who makes a neither from Dogon, which literally means that which is piled up, also, Eina Osa El Mehen would only be forbidden to benefit from those five primary grains, because that is what people generally refer to when they use the word Dogon. However, according to Rebbe since Dogon literally means that which is piled up, people also use it to refer to other grains, not just these five primary grains, and therefore according to Rebbe if somebody were to make a nadir against Dogon, they wouldn't be able to benefit from any grain which is piled up, not just these five grains. And the Mishnah ends off with a sort of introduction to the next few Mishnayis, and that is that these five grains, the Chayovim Bachala, are obligated in both Chala uva Maisras, and they are also obligated in the tithes, the various gifts of one's produce which need to go to Karnim or Leviim, or poor people. So these five grains are obligated in both Chala and Maisras. Mishnah Gimel, on the other hand, Elu Chayavim Bachala, the following things are obligated in Chala, but of Trumana Maisras they would be exempt from the rest of the tithes, such as Trumana which goes to a Kohen, or Maisarishim which goes to a Levi. So what is on that list? Haleket. This refers to individual stalks which are dropped at the time of the harvest. And there's a mitzvah that these, these need to be left for the poor. Vahashikha. These are bundles which are forgotten in the field. And again, they need to be left for the poor. Vahapeya. And the corner of the field, or the edge of the field, which also needs to be left for the poor. So the reason why these are these are exempt from maestras is because the Torah says the reason why you give maestras to the levy, for example, is because the levy does not have a portion with you in the land. So he's missing out, so therefore you should give this to him to compensate. Now that doesn't apply to Leket, Shikha, and Peyar, because any poor person, even a levy, as long as he is poor, is able to collect the Leket, Shikha, or Peyar. And therefore the levy is not worse off than Yisrael when it comes to these Leket, Shikha, and Peyar. And therefore, when a poor person collects the Leket Shikhan Peyar, he does not need to tithe it and give anything to the Levi or the Kohen. Rather, he can eat it all himself without tithing it. However, these things are obligated in Chala, and this is learned from a Posuk, which adds in extra words, and that teaches that there's an extra case where you're obligated, namely this case, the Hefka, produce which grew when it was ownerless. So it grew by itself, no one owned it, and then somebody picked it off the ground and became the owner. Now this produce is exempt from tithes, because again, even a levy could have taken it from the ground, since it was ownerless. However, it's obligated in chala, because by the time it was turned into dough, it was already owned by somebody. And the chala obligation is dependent on when it is dough, so even if it was ownerless when it grew, now it is owned by somebody, and therefore it is obligated in chala. Now the next one on the list is Umaisarisha in Shnidla Turumasai. Maiseration from which the Trumas Maiser was taken. The halacha is that a tenth of one's produce needs to go to a levy, and that's considered Maiserition. And then once the levy receives that, he has to separate a tenth of that and give it to a Kohen as Trumas Maiser. Now the halacha is that if a levy received Maiserition before the owner separated Trumagodela from his produce, in general he separates Truma first, and that goes to a Kohen. But if instead of doing that, he first gave the Maiserition to the levy, that means that this Maiserition still needs Truma to be separated from it. And therefore the Levi will also have to separate Truma as well as the Truma's Maiser and give that to a Kohen as well. However, there's an exception. 
And that is that if the lady receives the Meisarishan before the produce was even obligated in Truma, meaning before the produce had been fully processed, so the halach is that he is exempt from Truma Gedoyla, since that obligation never even started. Now he will be obligated in Truma's Meisar, because that anyway starts when the lady receives it. So if he receives Meisarishan, he always needs to give a tenth of that to a Kohen. But the Truma obligation only applies to fully processed food, and therefore this lady will be exempt from paying that. So when the Rishon says he's exempt from tithes, that's referring to the tithe of Truma. However, he is obligated in Chala. Again, why? Because the obligation of Chala begins once it's a dough. And the Levi makes it into a dough, and there's no reason to exempt him in that case, and therefore he is obligated in Chala. Alright, next one on the list. My Sashani or produce which belongs to the base Hamikdash, which are redeemed. Now both my Sashani and Hekdash are exempt from tithes because they are not considered to be the owner's possession. They're considered to be the base Hamikdash or Hashem's possession as it were. And we're referring to a case where they were redeemed onto money, so their sanctity was transferred from the produce onto money, which means that the produce became regular produce. However, this only occurred after the produce became obligated in Trumus and Maestras, which means that at the time of the obligation, the produce itself was Maestrashani or Hekdash, and therefore it was exempt from tithes, because it's not their own possession, and the obligation of Trumus and Maestras is only on your own produce, but not if it belongs to the Beis Hamikdash or Hashem. However, it's still obligated in Chala, because it was redeemed before it was made into dough, which means that by the time it was made into dough and the obligation of Chala set in, the produce is regular produce, which didn't have sanctity, and therefore it is considered your own produce, your own dough, and therefore it's obligated in challah. And al gives a very similar case to hekdash, a type of hekdash in fact, and that is umesar ha'omer, the remainder of the omer flour. Now the omer was an offering of flour which was very fine flour. And in fact, to make sure that it was very, very fine, and soft without any large bits, the flour was sifted 13 times. Now because of that, there was lots of flour which was coarse, and made up of larger pieces, larger bits of flour, and they didn't get through the sieve, so they weren't part of the carbon omer. However, even that part was considered hekdash. It belonged to the base hamikdash. Now what they would do with that flour, the part of the flour which wasn't offered up as the carbon, is that they would redeem the sanctity of the flour onto money, so the money would now be considered hekdash, and the flour would be not sanctified, and anybody would be able to use the flour for their own needs. Now once you receive that flour, do you need to separate tithes from it? So the answer is of course not, because produce becomes obligated in tithes when it's processed, and that's usually once it's piled up as stalks, but it's a way earlier stage than when it's turned into flour. So the obligation already passed, and at the time that it became obligated, it belonged to the Beis Hamikdash, and therefore it was exempt, but the obligation can't set in later on if it didn't set in when the produce was fully processed, and therefore it's exempt from tithes, but once again it's obligated in challah, because the flour is made into dough once it's owned by somebody, and at that stage it's not owned by the Beis Hamikdash, and therefore it is obligated in challah. Okay, and finally, grain which didn't reach a third of its growth, and it was cut off the ground before reaching a third of what it would grow, what a plant like that would grow. So that is exempt from Maestras, from the tides, as we learned at length in Maseches Maestras, that only produce which, which reaches its Oynas HaMaestras, its stage of growth at which it becomes edible, and at which the seeds can germinate and produce other seeds inside the ground, only once it's reached that significant stage of its growth does it become obligated in Maestras. 
However, it is still obligated in Chala, because as we learned in the previous Mishnah, as long as the grain can become chametz, it can be turned into gr- into dough and rise, so then it's obligated in Chala, and that can occur with this produce even if it hasn't reached its significant stage of its growth. However, Abiliezer, Abiliezer says, Tavosh grain which hasn't reached a third of its growth, Petrumina Chala, is also exempt from the obligation of Chala, and this is because as we mentioned before, Chala is compared to Truma, so just like produce is only obligated in Truma, once it's reached a significant stage of its growth, the same would apply to Chala, at least according to Abiliezer. Now we've got the exact opposite. The following things are obligated in Maisers in the tithes of Turmina Chala, but are exempt from the obligation of Chala. So firstly, as we saw before, all grains outside of the five main grains will be obligated in Maisers, but not in Chala. So for example, Ha'erez, rice, v'hadoichan, and millet, v'aprogim, and poppy seeds, v'ashumshmein, and sesame seeds, v'akitnyos, and various legumes and beans, and we've already seen this concept earlier on in the first Mishnah. As well as that, as we alluded to before, there's a minimum amount of dough which is obligated in Chala. So something which is smaller, grain which it will produce less than a cav and a quarter of flour, so that will be exempt from Chala but still obligated in Maisras, since even the smallest amount, even one stalk, would be obligated in Maisras. Now the remainder of the Mishnah lists types of doughs which are exempt from Chala. Now, of course, the type of dough has no bearing on the obligation of maestras, because maestras have to be separated before it's made into dough. As soon as it's all been harvested and piled up, that's when the tides have to be separated. So this discussion only applies to chala, and the Mishnah tells us that hasufgonin, some sort of sweet wafer, had of shonin, dough which contains honey, v'ho'eskritin. This is a very thin type of wafer or cracker. The chalas hamasres, this is bread which was cooked in quite an unusual way. They would put the dough into a frying pan, and then pour boiling hot water onto the dough while it was in the frying pan. So in all of these four cases, they are exempt from chala because chala only applies to bread. And because these are all very unusual, and they're not the regular way that you bake bread, and the dough as well is quite an unusual way to make dough, the dough used for these things is much thinner than usual, and because of that, it does not come under the category of those things which are obligated in Chala. And finally, the Hamaduma. Hamaduma is a mixture of Truma and Chulin. Chulin is unsanctified produce, regular produce. So if Truma is mixed in with Chulin, unless there's a hundred times more Chulin than Truma, the entire mixture is considered forbidden for non karanim just like the Truma. Now you would think that since, really, a lot of the mixture is Chulin, so it should be obligated in Chala. It's true that Truma is exempt from Chala, but Chulin is obligated. However, it's learned from a Posuk, which says that as a result of making something Chala, it will become Truma. It will gain Truma status. So that implies that before you make it Chala, it hasn't got Truma status. However, in the case of a Maduma, we do treat the entire mixture as Truma. Even if technically it's made up of lots of Chulin, we treat it all as Truma. And because of that, it is exempt from Chala, as that Posuk implies.